Thanks, Karen. Um, we encourage you to take this card home. Um, we'll have some available on the west side entrance outdoors. Uh, use it before mealtime. Read it. Reread it. Uh, make it an object of prayer. It would be awesome if at the end of seven weeks, many of us had this memorized so that God had maximum permission uh, to speak to us through that. Um, so, yeah, for the next seven weeks, Pastor Jeff and I are going to smash together two things. The Beatitudes with action steps that we believe the Spirit of God is calling us to right now in 2020. I'm mostly going to be the Bible guy. Pastor Jeff is mostly going to be the action man. So we'll kind of divide some things up that way, given that he's our pastor of outreach. This is right in his sweet spot. So I trust uh, there are going to be some good words and uh, good things for us to do. We would do well to remember that before Jesus preached the famous Sermon on the Mount, kind of awesome that we get to hear this outdoors, just like the original audience, right? Um, before he preached this sermon, Jesus himself had proven himself to be an action figure. Jesus did not show up to be a talking head. Jesus did not show up just to run his mouth and tell people nice, pious, platitudinous things that they could think about or linger on for a while. Before he shared homilies, Jesus healed. In fact, right before the Sermon on the Mount, the book of Matthew says, Jesus healed every sickness and disease of the people. And that is why great crowds came and thronged around him. Not because he was the best speaker. He probably was an awesome speaker, no doubt. But because he healed and did tangible things. Before he sermonized, Jesus served. Everyone knew it and felt it, and that is why they showed up. I mean, God knows, that's what the world needs from a church today. That before we talk, we're ready to serve. So the Beatitudes, or the Blesseds, are where Jesus started his sermon. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount spans Matthew 5, 6, and 7. These are merely the first 13 verses of the greatest sermon ever preached. Even though these are among the greatest words ever spoken or written in human history, here's the amazing thing about these Beatitudes. Jesus was actually serious about these words. Like, he actually meant them to be realistic and to be put into practice. He didn't share them to be a great poet, but to be practical. He didn't speak them to make us more philosophical, but to make us more full of spirit. So right out of the blocks, I think it's essential for us to ask this question, what does it mean to be blessed? Karen already spoke to this for a moment. I, what she said was right on. In North America, we have this thing, hashtag blessed. Do we ever tweet this? Most of these that I see are like, you know, somebody sitting in front of the Caribbean Ocean, Caribbean Sea, hashtag blessed. Keys to a new car, hashtag blessed. Just a day where you don't have any responsibilities, hashtag blessed. We ought not to confuse things that are easy or relaxing or recreational with the kind of blessing that Jesus has in mind. There may or may not be some overlap there. But whenever I see hashtag blessed, it can mean something as shallow as just North American consumerism, and it can mean something as deep as what Jesus was actually getting at in these words. What does it mean to be blessed? 
It is no coincidence that the first phrase in the book of Psalms, which is the book of the Old Testament that Jesus quoted the most frequently, and the first words of Jesus' sermon are the same. Blessed are those. Psalm 1 begins this way. Totally think Jesus had this in mind. Blessed are those who do not walk in the steps of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but blessed are those whose delight is in the word of the Lord, who meditate on his law day and night. Those people are like trees planted by streams of water which yield fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. To be blessed in the Bible means to be open and aware and noticing God's presence and voice and activity all around you. To be blessed makes us like a tree, rooted deep, growing up, bearing fruit. In a word, I think this is maybe the best English word on the market for biblical blessing. It means that we are flourishing as human beings, flourishing the way a healthy tree is flourishing. This is the Bible's picture of blessing for us. It doesn't mean that things are simple or easy or free of pain or free of conflict, right? A tree can go through a very difficult season and still be growing stronger and flourishing, not despite it, but because of it sometimes. So in my own life, uh, my family moved here just a little over 10 years ago. And whenever you move across state lines, it's not necessarily a time that you feel like you're flourishing or that things are easy. I mean, we moved here. uh, We went from homeschooling our kids to kids going to a new school. It was kind of chaotic and difficult for them. Uh, My wife, Sarah, had plans uh, to go to nursing school. We crossed state lines that kind of delayed things. Where was she going to go to school? Took a while to figure out. I had been a church planter. Uh, I'd been serving a church with um, only a few hundred people. And all of a sudden at Elmhurst CRC, there's like thousands of people. I had, it was super stressful. I had no idea how to do this. I felt like I had been taken out of the trenches and promoted to middle management. Despite all of that, despite kind of the chaos and the struggle to grow into some new things for all of us, When I look back now, more than 10 years at that season of life, I can honestly say God was totally there and was helping me go deeper and begin to flourish in ways that I would not have been able to in my previous life. Looking back 10 years now, I can see much more clearly that in that particular season, God was moving things around, working through circumstances, putting new people in my life, all of whom would be part of his plan for helping me grow up and in and out. I wish things were easy. I mean, one of our stresses was we didn't know we were going to live for a little while, uh, thought we had found the right house, we're actually going to buy this from church, and before we bought it, it flooded. Does that sound like flourishing? No, that sounds like pain and anxiety. However, even in that process, I can testify 10 years later, Uh, part of God's plan for the flourishing of my little family. Pure in heart. This is the beatitude for today. Blessed are the pure in heart, 
for they will see God. People who are flourishing are able to see and hear and notice God. When I drop that phrase, blessed are the pure in heart, what kind of person comes to mind? Do you come to mind for yourself? Anybody feeling totally pure of heart today? (laughs) Usually when we think of pure of heart, we think, wow, that's a person who never breaks the rule. That's a person who always does the right thing. That's a person who's so good, they're not even tempted to think about some of the nonsense that I think about. That is not what Jesus means by pure in heart. The Greek word that is translated pure in heart at its very basic level means clean. Like if you would clean a room, it's a pure room, or it's a tidy room, or there's some space in that room. Here's my English equivalent in modern days. Blessed are the unbusy, people who have room in their heart. For in the margins, they will discover that God is right there. Does that feel a little different from blessed are the pure in heart and they will see God? Right? Blessed are the pure in heart sort of makes it seem like, oh, I need to be a perfect person. I need to be one of those perfectionistic Christians before God will show himself to me. That is exactly the opposite of what Jesus is saying. Blessed are you when you're bored. Blessed are you when people are not paying attention to you. Blessed are you where there's room and space and margin in your life because then just maybe you'll see what God is doing in your life and around the edges. Our North American temptation, this is more pre-COVID, I mean, it is our number one virtue to be busy, Hey, how's it going, Cassie? Oh, I'm just so busy. I mean, I'm juggling. I'm, I'm working on paintings. I'm juggling grandkids. I'm like driving to the city. I mean, Jack's business. It's going like this is how we respond because we think that busyness is the ultimate sign of productivity. And this is our number one American virtue. And Jesus is saying, no, you're blessed actually when there's space where you're not busy 24 hours a day. Otherwise, how are you ever going to notice me? We also are going to have to unlearn the danger of thinking that Jesus' beatitudes are cause and effect statements. Right? It's easy to think, if I'm pure in heart, then God will show himself to me. It all comes together at once. So if I were to say, like, hey, it's September now, so it's going to get colder. And it's going to rain a little more. Like, is it going to get cold and rain more just because the numbers flipped on the calendar? Like, of course not, right? It's getting colder because the earth is tilted on an axis and is getting further away from the sun. Follow what I'm saying? September and cooler weather and rain, it all comes together. Rain doesn't make it September, and September doesn't make it rain. Similarly, in the Beatitudes, when we have room for God... We experience God. And when we experience more of God, we want more room in our life for God, to notice God, to see God, to detect the fingerprints of God. Here's the amazing thing. The same principle is at work in the way we interact with our friends and our neighbors and our family. If there is no margin in our life, if there is no purity of heart or space, we won't have the capacity to notice people around us much less care for them, much less be motivated to meet their needs. 
But with some purity of heart, with some blessed space, maybe even with a little boredom and margin, perhaps we can notice what those around us are going through. So tell us some more about that, Pastor Jeff. Okay. So as you know, um, I play hockey. I've not been able to play since this Corona Bologna has gone on. No hockey going on because we can't bounce around and bump into each other in the gym. So, But two years ago, two summers ago, while I was playing hockey, a hockey ball jumped up off the floor off someone's stick and hit me in the eye, the left eyeball. When I got up from the floor where I was laying in agony, I realized pretty quickly I could not see out of my left eye. I could see orange and red and gray colors and nothing else. A little bit panicky for a moment. I drove myself to the Wheaton Eye Clinic where they started treating me. One of the prescriptions was to sit in front of the TV for five straight days. Just what happened, the British Open was on. That was perfect. So I just watched TV and told my wife, this is the doctor's orders. But little by little, my eyesight returned in my left eye. And I realized in that little experience how important seeing is to really an abundant life. You agree? Well, in order to really have a good life, you see really well. Now, I'm sure we've all been to the eye doctor. Maybe not all of us, but some of us have gone through that test where they put you in that little machine and they flip it back and forth. This one or this one? This one or that one? This one or this one? And eventually they fit you with glasses that help you see. I have contacts in right now. You can't see them, but if you could see my notes, they're 20 font because I should be wearing reading glasses also. So not only am I nearsighted, I'm also farsighted. Basically, at this old age of mine, I can't see a thing anymore, right? It's terrible. Now, if you look up in the dictionary, the word seeing, what you find there is, is that um, it's got interesting definition, interesting words behind it. It's not just about physical seeing. It says things like perceive, discern, become aware of someone or something, pay attention. Here's what's interesting. When it comes to eyesight, you know, if you can't see, you go to the eye doctor. But what if you can't perceive? What if you can't discern? What if you can't become aware of things? What if you're not the current person that really sees people or deeply sees life? Then what do you do? Now, I, I, I got to bring these out because I, I got them. I don't think they really do a whole lot for the sermon, but wouldn't it be cool? Wouldn't it be cool if you could go to the, do- the doctor of seeing and he could give you a special pair of glasses to discern? Don't these look cool, huh? I just had to put these on. That's good. So wouldn't it be cool if we could just go to an eye doctor, get some sort of special glasses to help us discern and see people better? Yeah, it'd be awesome. You know, noticing people is the beginning of mission. It's the beginning of being on the mission of God. It's the way we get involved with people is noticing them, seeing them. Jesus was brilliant at this. He saw people all the time. In fact, there's three ways Jesus saw people. I'll give them to you briefly. First of all, he saw people for their needs, not as an inconvenience. You know what I'm talking about? So Jesus was often super busy. He was traveling the roads of Palestine, and people would be yelling out for him. And the disciples would be like, hey, quiet down. He's too busy. And Jesus would always turn aside and say, I'm not too busy. I see you, right? He would turn aside and look at them. You know what the best fifth Sunday serve will be in this church? It'll be when we do fifth Sunday serve, and instead of me coming up with all the projects or my team coming up with all the projects for you, you start coming to us and say, hey, 
I have a neighbor who's really struggling. I would love to go help them. Can you send me a team of people to help me go help my neighbor? That's the best Fifth Sunday Sewer Project we'll ever be involved in. When you start to notice the people in your neighborhood and your community, the people who live around you, and say, I want to help that person. I need my church's help to do that. So on November we're going to rake leaves all through the community. If you have someone in your neighborhood who you know can't rake their leaves, bring me the name. It'd be awesome if we could come around you while you bless your neighbor because you saw them. You noticed them. them with your eyes, right? You noticed them. The second way that Jesus saw people, he saw them for their potential, not for their shortcomings. So we look at people, we immediately see failure, brokenness. We see a mess. Jesus saw image of God. Think about his disciples. He chose his disciples in spite of their flaws and shortcomings and raised them to a whole new level. The Mariano's in Wheaton, the supermarket there, when I go there, I love to meet my friend Jim, who's always at the front door. Jim has kind of special needs. Jim may be their best employee. Jim greets every person that walks through the door of Mariano's. Every time. If I have a Cubs shirt on, Jim talks about the Cubs. If I have a baseball cap on, Jim talks about that. If, he, if I have a Bears shirt on, he talks about the Bears. He greets every person. I've watched him in the, in the parking lot. Jim like, raises people. He notices them. The special needs guy. No other employee at Marano's even mentions my name or says hello. Jim is totally engaged. I love this guy. He just sees people as people and just welcomes them in. Can we see people for their potential instead of their brokenness? And then the third thing, Jesus saw every person as a person who had potential to be raised and healed. Think about the woman who washed his feet at dinner. The Pharisees were like, that woman, you know what kind of woman that is? And Jesus was like, no. No, she's a child of God. And he let her wash his feet in front of all these big, falutin religious guys, right? And he raised her. He lifted her. We have missionaries right now in Africa who have started a project in the dump. They were driving by the dump where these people live and get their food from the dump. They live in the dump. And instead of driving by them and thinking, oh, those people are no, they're hopeless. These missionaries entered into the dump and introduced themselves and began to share the gospel. We just got a video, which I wish I could show you right now, of people in the dump dancing and singing praises to Jesus because the word of God has gone into the dump. Because these missionaries saw these people as, the, as God would see them, as Jesus would see them. Now, why is noticing so important? Why does it matter? Like, what does it matter if we notice people? Well, let me tell you why it's so important. Because the enemy has two ways that he defeats us. First one is he makes us feel guilty about stuff we've done. Guilt is connected to our mistakes, our sins, our mishaps, the way we fail each other. But then he has a second weapon. It's called shame. Shame is connected to making us feel like we're worthless because of the stuff we've done. Making us feel like we're losers because of stuff that's been done to us. Making us feel like we don't measure up, that we're disqualified in some way from the love of God. There's a lot of people in the world walking around feeling like they don't measure up, like they just aren't qualified to come here and be with us. When you notice people, you basically say to them, you are valuable. You are worth it. You are worthwhile. 
I see you. Right? It's amazing. When we notice people, we, we, we raise them, we lift them. That's what the Church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be about. My friend Hugh Halter wrote a book called The Tangible Kingdom. And in there he talks about making the kingdom tangible for people in the world. He asked the question, how will that happen? How will we make the, tang- the kingdom tangible, touchable, experienceable for people that are living out in the world? His conclusion, those of us who are pure in heart, who have seen God, we get to help others see him also. So I think this beatitude could be changed. Blessed are the noticers, for they will help others see God. We need to learn to be noticers. We need to be learn to be those who notice others and step into their shoes and walk alongside them. I can tell you that one of my big camp experiences or camp lessons as a camp speaker, kids want me to know their name. There's usually 500 of them at a camp, but they want me, the speaker, to know their name. It's unbelievable on a Wednesday if I can call somebody by name at a meal. Literally, I've had people break into tears because they say, you knew my, you know my name? How do you know my name? I'm like, well, you told me your name the first day. Just knowing their name. I had a conversation this week. I'm dealing with a family, a refugee family in Wheaton that my wife and I have long been involved with, and I was talking to the DuPage Housing Authority on the other end of the phone, this girl, Candace, was talking to me. As, as she stopped the conversation, she said, um, did you teach Bible at Timothy Christian High School? I said, yeah. Who are you? I'm Candace Wade. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember you. She said, you remember me? I'm like, yeah, Candace, you were, and I kind of described some things. I can't believe you remember me. This is so awesome. Right? When you see people, when you really see them, You get to lift them. Now, folks, here's the thing. Since we can't go to the eye doctor and get these kind of glasses to learn how to see people this way, to open our eyes to see people better, to see more deeply, then we have to practice this. So this week, Greg was talking about margin. Go somewhere quietly. Go to a mall. I'm not sure the malls are open. Maybe they are. Go to a spot where there's people roaming around and just practice watching them. And noticing and see what you see. And then I'm expecting that for the next fifth Sunday serve on November 30th, we'll have a bunch of projects because our congregation saw their neighbors and said, we need to get involved with these people and help them out. Okay? That's the best kind of noticing we can do. Let's pray together. Let's pray. Jesus, help us to have margin. Help us to see you in the margins of our life. Help us, Lord God, to find you as we travel along. Help us to be so pure in heart, so singly focused, that we see you daily. Help us, Jesus, to notice others so that they will see you, so that they will experience your care. In your name we pray all these things.